This is Hassan Akram, your host for Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security Podcast, brought to you by Matrix. Welcome back to another episode of Matrix Tech Talk. Today, I'm super excited to have John Maddox from all the way across the Atlantic, who is the head of autonomous vehicle safety at Lyft. Uh, John, welcome to Matrix Tech Talk. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, John has been working in the automotive industry since 30 years. He has experience in several uh, verticals in the automotive industry. He was uh, part of the U.S. Department of Transportation, and now he's responsible for AV safety at Lyft. So, John, I'm super excited. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and your passion? Yeah, thanks. I'm definitely uh, excited to talk to you today. I, I, I always love to get into detail on on uh, safety, particularly autom automated vehicle safety. Um, as you mentioned, I've got roughly about 30 years of experience in the automotive industry, uh, primarily focused on safety. Um, I had the great experience of working for two large OEMs, both uh, Ford and Volkswagen, and uh, on many different uh, programs, uh, certainly even way back to the early days of airbags. And I think that's got some, some interesting ties to where we are today. But uh, also had the opportunity to lead uh, NHTSA's uh, AV safety program originally and created as the head of research for uh, vehicle safety at NHTSA. Um, also opportunity to work in academia at the University of Michigan and, and uh, Texas A&M University. And so it's quite interesting to think about um, where we have, how far we've come on automotive safety in the last 30 years, really the last 50 years. But even more interesting is the opportunities for the next 10 or 20 years with, with automation. And so uh, definitely happy to, to, to discuss and, and brainstorm with you today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Amazing. So you have already mentioned, you know, the, the, the journey that we have taken in the last 50 years, all the way that we have uh, crossed and even more exciting what's going to happen in 10, 20 years in terms of safety when it comes to automated vehicle. I'm going to start a little bit from the from the past. So you worked 30 years in this industry, and the the pace at which the industry was moving in the last 30 years compared to any other industry, be it uh, you know digital transformation I, in the traditional IT industry, internet, social media, it was slow. And now in the last decade, we have seen a little bit of a catalytic. Uh, effect in this in this industry when it comes to AV. So AV is moving the industry faster, the idea of AV. In my opinion, three technologies is going to change the, the industry uh, once and for all. Definitely AV, connected vehicles, and electrification of vehicles. So all these things, putting in the safety perspective in your entire experience, why do you think we've been so slow and why do you think these things are really catalyzing things to move forward faster? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Over the last, the first, let's say, you know, uh, 20 years of, of automotive safety, things did move somewhat slow. And I would use the word measured. Um, you know, we are talking about, about products that uh, really protect us. Uh, we, we physically move our bodies from point A to point B. Um, at great speeds, uh, and certainly with the possibility of when there is a, a collision or a crash or other bad event that, you know, there could be actual physical harm and, and death involved. So it's, it is critical that we get safety right for automotive. And that's true of any transportation mode or any, any critical industry, but certainly for transportation. You know, we think about the, 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 we think about the way that we live. Transportation is critical. It's one of the basic needs, basic human needs. We have to get to places to get food or, or to interact with people or to go to the hospital or to go to school. And so the, it, it has taken time, but frankly, that time was important to get it right. 
And so on the, for the first, let's say, 30 years of automotive safety, focused on, on crash worthiness, what happens in a bad event, what we call a crash. You know, we were uh, innovating then, and it, that took time. Um, now, I will say that you're absolutely right. Things have accelerated with the opportunity of, I'll use crash avoidance broadly, but certainly with ADAS and automation. Um, and so it is interesting because now, while we made great strides on automotive safety in the first 30 years, it, 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 did, it did take time. And we started to read and reach an asymptote of, of effectiveness of, or the rate of change of safety improvement. And that's because, uh, you know, you can only do so much to prevent someone when there is a bad, a bad event like a crash. Now we've got a new opportunity to avoid a crash or avoid a bad event altogether. And so we are reaching a point, entering this next phase of automotive safety where we can actually, you know, prevent the crash completely. Uh, and it's getting quite a lot of attention. Secondly, of course, with automation particularly, there's a great societal benefit in addition to safety. Safety is the primary benefit, but certainly efficiency and uh, freeing up of our time in the transportation mode. <clears throat> so, there's, you know, there's a great, uh, I'll say, te technological draw. Uh, people like the idea of not having to drive all the time. Some people still want to drive some of the time, and I think that, that that's probably right, including myself. But I certainly like the idea of being able to uh, rely on the technology to get me to point A to point B. And so I think this, this acceleration partly is due to the fact that the, the technological draw for people who are using this to get from point A to point B is, is quite interesting. And that's driving companies and that's driving even governments and other stakeholders really to get involved in, in this new technology. So um, I will say that we still need to get it right. You know, we still are transporting humans. We still have a, uh, a strong need to make sure that the technology is ready to be deployed. Um, so, but I think that, 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 that draw is what's accelerating right now. Fascinating. Uh, you mentioned several stimulating points here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on those. Uh, now, it's not only safety, as you mentioned, although one of the motivating factors for ADAS was safety. So it's, it's fascinating that AV is going to make our lives safer uh, if we do it right. Other changes that you mentioned in society, life is going to change completely. It is not going to be the only the mode of transportation that's going to be changing. We, we're going to change in a way we socialize, we interact with people, the way we work with people, everything is going to, the way we dwell, the real estate price can, can have an effect with AV. It's, it's going to be one of the biggest um, changes of our time, for sure. Now, one thing uh, about the automotive industry, traditionally, we're making money based on the idea of ownership. We own a vehicle. Like you work for two traditional OEMs, they make money because everybody wants to own a vehicle. Now, there is a chance, there is a good chance this idea of ownership will be obsolete. You know, people will use it as an app rather than uh, cars for me to move from point A to point B. Be it a AV or a, a drone taking me from point A to point B. So it's a, it's, it's a mechanism to go there. So how do you think the traditional automotive industry is going to cope with that? And how far are we from that um, era where your car is merely your app? There is a significant change uh, already underway and likely to accelerate there. In fact, that's, that's one of the prime reasons that, uh, that I came to Lyft, you know, because I, I really do believe that the future of transportation is going to certainly, we're going to see a large increase in the number of people who use um, transportation as a service through an app like Lyft. Um, will we ever get away fully from, uh, from an ownership model? That I don't know. I guess it depends on where you live and, and how often you need to access uh, a vehicle. Mm -hmm. Certainly cities, uh, and I can tell you a first, first-hand experience, I, 
I have, um, uh, <laughs> I have had recently uh, 13 vehicles. Now I'm down to seven vehicles myself. And uh, I can tell you that, you know, the cost of ownership of a vehicle is more than just the original purchase price, of course. And so when you live in a place like New York or San Francisco or, or Munich or where, where it's expensive to keep a car, people will start to realize that they don't necessarily need to purchase a vehicle. However, having said that, it is about that, that physical, that, that human, basic human need of physical transportation, getting yourself or your family from point A to point B or goods from, from point A to point B. And so there is still a need for a, a vehicle. And the automotive industry is, is very well finely tuned. Uh, I mean, if you think about the ability of that industry to produce vehicles that are highly capable and, and frankly, quite safe um, at some sort of affordable price, the automotive industry, you know, it, it really does hit that target quite well. So I guess what I'm saying is I see, I see a future of, of combined uh, where people maybe need to own multiple vehicles, or if you live in a dense city, you may not need a vehicle at all, but certainly others that might live in a more uh, uh, spread out suburban or, or, or rural area may want a vehicle. But bottom line is we still need that physical vehicle to get us from point A to point B. Where that balance is, no one knows, uh, and that, that time will tell. Um, I think it's quite interesting for automation particularly because, as we all know, you know, this technology will not necessarily be inexpensive, especially at the beginning. And so if we think about, you know, the idea of a shared fleet of vehicles and all the benefits that come with that in terms of parking and efficiency, um, we can start to see that, that you know, the, the, that, the, that the concept of shared use and automation really do fit together nicely. And as you mentioned earlier, with electrification and communication, you can really build out a true automated transportation as a service model in, at scale in, in large areas. So I think the two, all those technologies will certainly come together. I don't look at it as kind of, you know, the auto, traditional industry versus the rideshare industry, because in the end, we need to work together to deliver this technology in a way that does scale and does provide the benefits that we're looking for. Um, and so I think it's, a, it's a, another reason it's a fascinating time to be in the automotive industry. You know, I mean, the, not only are the vehicles today so incredibly capable, we have this new technology that we can now develop that will add, that will add to their um, utility for society for the next 50 years. So we manufacture vehicles today thinking that the longevity of the vehicle is 20 years, 15, 20 years. Now, when you're talking about a fleet, this, like, like you said, you know, uh, there will be no parking problem. We'll be utilizing, we'll be, we'll be using the resources. The lifespan of these vehicles will not be 20 years. And the safety mechanism that we put today is for 20 years we will not need to put it for 20 years. At the same time, it's gonna bring other challenges that uh, the vehicle was not designed for. Um, what do you think of that as a, as a manufacturing, uh, the manufacturing industry, like you said, I mean, we, in the end, we have to work together. We will still need a vehicle and the traditional OEMs will have to make one. Irrespective of the AV technology, your your company is already dealing with such such thing. You know your vehicles are in the street. Okay, when it's a human, it's probably not twenty four seven. But when it's automated, you want to put a vehicle twenty four seven in the in the in the street. Um, how will that safety challenge be tackled? You think we should expect uh, you know vehicles? Sorry about that. Uh, vehicles to to I'll call it wear out um, much more quickly. Um, however, that's a huge opportunity also. You know, one of the one of the experiences that uh, I think about from my time at USDOT, we worked uh, regularly to develop and encourage deployment of new technology. But but that technology always took five, 10, 15 years really to penetrate the fleet at any significant number. Now, with automated technology and even ADAS technology, as vehicles uh, are used more regularly throughout the day, 
they will certainly have a, a shorter overall life, meaning new vehicles will have to be introduced to replace them. Uh, bringing the opportunity to actually deploy advanced safety technology much more quickly, um, more rapidly as it spreads throughout that, that, that fleet of vehicles. Great point. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, you know, I think that it remains to be seen what the you know, useful life of a fully automated vehicle that's used in, as a uh, transportation as a service uh, uh, use case. So it remains to be seen how long that vehicle will actually last. You think about commercial vehicles like trucks, um, you know, they're, they're designed for hundreds of thousands or even million miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different paradigm than it is for a traditional passenger vehicle. Will vehicles migrate to that? We don't know yet. Um, I guess my, my overall point is that that's probably not necessarily a gating uh, factor for deployment of AV. The automotive industry uh, will do what it needs to do to design and deploy those vehicles, you know, as needed. Uh, again, they're highly capable of producing, of designing and engineering, producing a product that we all rely on. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what that does to overall vehicle sales. Yeah. Let maybe, fewer individual purchases, but more often, who knows where that really comes out. But I do look at it as an opportunity to, to deploy safety technology much more quickly. I love that point that we can we can deploy the safety technologies much quicker. Like now uh, we have vehicles in the street which are 15, 20 years old, and they do not have the, the safety feature that we'd like to have them. My question to you, you are uh, responsible for AV safety for Lyft. Um, what is, in your opinion, the biggest safety challenge we have today for AV? Before we deploy the vehicle in the street, what are the problems that we have to solve? There are definitely uh, still significant challenges. I think the, the, the biggest one um, is less of a technical challenge. It, it, it's more of a societal one, which is, you know, we need to earn the trust of users. And, and I say users, users of the vehicle, as well as other road users that may not be in the vehicle. We need to earn the trust, their trust to deploy these things successfully at scale. And, the, you know, the, there's a very difficult question. We, we, we talk about it. We've been talking about it at automotive, uh, sorry, at automated vehicle safety conferences for the last, I'll say, at least 10, 12 years. How safe is safe enough? Or how, what is safe? And how do we actually show that it's safe? That is still a very interesting challenge. And um, I do think that there is certainly progress, great progress being made to answer that question. But I think it's, it's less of a technical challenge. It's more of a societal one. How, how do we actually convince our users and other stakeholders that we're ready to go? How do we convince ourselves? And so I think there, that's a, a very difficult um, current challenge still that we haven't actually consensed on and created a standard around. And, and that's, you know, that's a really important point because if you think about the way that we've done automotive safety for that last you know, 30 years and, and, and many other industries uh, for that matter, we do rely on you know, building technical knowledge as we develop a product but importantly, trying to standardize that knowledge in a way that allows us to demonstrate that it is safe. And we create voluntary standards. We create what we would call best practices, voluntary standards, and then eventually, in some cases, regulation. And that has ha- that's how we have effectuated safety for, for the last you know, 50 plus years. We need to do the same. We can rely on that process for automated safety. It, it, it's very difficult to create, as it turns out, it's difficult to create meaningful standards for AV safety, but that process still works. I agree with you 100%. Uh, this, it's, it's, it's hard to create a safety standard, how safe is safe, especially in terms of AV. Now, traditionally, when we talk about safety, we talked about uh, failure occurring inside the vehicle. Now we have an environment that we deal with, and theoretically, it's infinite. You know, there is a big unknown. When you know something, you can take measure. When you do not know something, you cannot take measure. ISO's uh, extension of safety uh, standard, the SOTIF standard of safety of the intended functionality talks about, you know, outside of the vehicle, but it goes only to level two. It's, it's, there's a long way to go. 
the problem that you meant how safe is safe, how to convince the the people, the the society that you know trust an to trust an autonomous vehicle. Here are se several several issues that I want to ask you. What what your opinion? One is testing. Um, I, I live in uh, Unterschleißheim, which is on the north of Munich, uh, where we have the B BMW autonomous campus, and we see the BMW AVs there roaming around. Uh, they are they're testing it. There's it's one thing to test in the nice suburb of Munich, uh, and to really test uh, you know dark side scenarios, the scenarios that are really really dangerous. Now there is a challenge. How do you test it? Do you put the actual people at risk? You know, there are several challenges. Simulation could be an, an option, but traditionally we've been using game engines to simulate our scenarios in the automotive industry. And we know uh, game engines are not simulating the physics as accurate as we want it to be. What do you think is a solution for testing? Critical aspect of, of developing an AV and it's really critical for an AV developer to leverage every testing modality that we can. And really that does include the three basic modalities. We do need to use simulation. You know, there's a, there's a critical aspect uh, in that if we tried to physically test these vehicles in every environment, we would be testing literally for decades, if not even a hundred years uh, before we can encounter all those environments. Simulation provides a way to tweak the test a little bit in, in a meaningful way. Uh, when I say tweak, I don't want to <laughs> imply that it's unimportant, but it's to change the, that environment or those conditions uh, and do it in a way that's, that's repeatable uh, and fidelic. But, so we can get a, a test result through simulation that we could never get in a, in a reasonable time period physically. However, we can't only rely on simulation for a couple of reasons, one of which you, you mentioned earlier, we do want to test the vehicle in I'll call critical conditions, whether it's high, higher speeds or lower mu or foggy or et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we want to do that physically. We certainly don't want to do that on the public road. So we do that on closed courses, test tracks. Um, and, the third way that we test, have to test, and, and that's where it, it does show, you know, where we see these vehicles being tested on public roads. That's a critical piece also because a couple reasons. One of which is if you put 500 engineers in a room for a year and tried to and told them come up with every scenario you can think of, we would still never come up with all the scenarios that we encounter in the real world uh, on public roads. That's one reason. But the primary reason is because that is actually where we are going to deploy these. We're not going to deploy. It doesn't help us to deploy them on test tracks. It doesn't help us to deploy them in a game engine. We want, we need to deploy them on, on actual roads to make them a useful product. And so it would, it, it would be, I'll call it unconscionable for us to, to deploy those without having tested them in the actual environment in the, in the multitude of conditions that we're going to expect them to operate in safely. So we need a combination of all three of those. And there are probably subsets there. Um, you know, we, we certainly would envision um, uh, that we deploy vehicles in certain, we call them ODDs, operational design domains. And that's a way of, of tailoring uh, our development to the place where we're actually going to use the vehicle and the conditions where we're going to use that vehicle. And that really is a critical aspect because if we tried to develop them to, to be deployed everywhere, i.e. a true level five, again, we would probably be uh, so long in doing that that we would never be able to deploy. So we have to start to think about how we're going to deploy them in, in this targeted area or targeted environment. And so that allows us to, to to begin to test on the physical, actual public roads where we will deploy the vehicle. So that ODD concept is extremely powerful. It's actually enabling uh, the technology. And so when we think about testing, uh, we need to think about all three modes. We need to think about a, a focused ODD. Um, and interestingly, that, that ODD focus brings us lots of opportunities. It's really important 
to think about, well, how will we actually deploy these vehicles? We at Lyft believe that we won't see a you know, big bang all at once deployment, even within a given ODD. We believe that there's going to be a combination of automated vehicles and human-driven vehicles in that same ODD for some time to come. And of course, that's, that's almost a given, given the fact that not everybody will deploy uh, an AV immediately, uh, but also because we think that the AV uh, deployment will come incrementally within that ODD. And there may be certain conditions where we don't let the AV operate, but we do need a transportation network. So there's, that's why we think you know, companies like Lyft and others that, that are TNCs have a, an inherent advantage um, to deploy this technology because we can do it in a way where we deploy at scale with both humans and automation at the same time in concurrence, in, 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 in concert, I should say. Um, and, you know, it's also quite interesting to think about uh, what that opportunity then provides to, to, to gather data. You know, we, we got, we, we asked this, the hard question is how safe is safe enough? We will answer that question with data by generally comparing the, the AV performance to that of performance of a, of a aggregate human fleet of human driver, of vehicles driven by human drivers. And so if you think about that opportunity to deploy an AV in the same ODD at the same time as a human driven fleet, that's also an opportunity to gather data to actually prove how safe the vehicle is. And so we think that's a critical piece for, for going forward. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, the incremental development. It's not going to be a big bang. Couldn't agree more that it's not going to be a big bang that all of a sudden we'll have level five that does everything. Uh, it's definitely going to be incremental. So the question that I want to ask you that, in my opinion, if we think about AV level five in a geo-fenced environment, we are matured enough in terms of safety, in terms of technology to deploy a level five today. I'm talking about an auto autonomous vehicle lane, probably in the highway, that just uh, lets the AVs go. It's geofenced. Uh, why do you think big companies are trying to solve the corner cases? You know, they're, they're putting all their efforts in the corner cases where they can actually monetize today if they go geofenced level five. Level five means we can operate in full AV everywhere. So geofence level five, I'm not sure if that, if that, if that really uh, works, but right. <laughs> I do think that to add value as a transportation service, the vehicle needs to operate within that ODD at a, some significant level of performance. And, and, I, and I mean performance in terms of efficacy. Um, of course, it has to be safe, but it also has to be effective in getting to place, the places where people need to go or goods need to go. And so I think that you know, companies are focused on level four because it allows us to, to bite off an ODD, if you will, and still, make, still have a meaningful completeness of service within that ODD. Um, I, think, I think most companies also have a hard time thinking about relying on infrastructure in, a, in such a, you know, kind of a, um, heavy or, or, or high level way. Because if you think about the way that we deploy infrastructure worldwide, but certainly here in the U.S., that is actually quite slow. Um, if you think that the automotive industry moves slow, I think the infrastructure industry moves a lot slower. It literally will take, in some cases, 10 to 20 years from the early planning stage to build a new road or a new bridge or a significant piece of infrastructure. And so AV companies believe that if we rely on infrastructure for, you know, for full, uh, even level four, we won't deploy for some long period of time. So the idea of a, of a single autonomous vehicle lane um, is intriguing, but it probably not uh, effective. It's, it, it doesn't make for a deployment model that we can see really happening. You know, and even, even in some uh, countries like, like Singapore or Dubai who are famous for deploying infrastructure relatively quickly, 
um, you, you don't see companies necessarily basing their business model there because that does not scale necessarily. Having said that, uh, I do think that there are aspects of the infrastructure that are really are important. And because it does take us 20 years to deploy infrastructure, we need to be thinking about those now. And, and those things do include, you know, effective, the basics, effective signs, effective markings, um, ideally a relatively uh, um, smooth and well-kept surface would be very nice for AVs. Uh, but also important are uh, infrastructure that through vehicle communication. While we won't necessarily wait for V2I or, or I to V, um, we certainly would like to see some supplement of, of AV capability with connectivity. Uh, and uh, we'd like to think, because it does take a, a fair amount of time scale to deploy that technology or any kind of infrastructure, um, we'd like for infrastructure providers and, and uh, cities and states to be thinking about those now. I love that answer. That's a perfect segue to my next question, actually, because you mentioned several parties. You mentioned the infrastructure providers. Now we have the fleet operators. We have the OEMs. We have the tier ones in your level, for example. We have the driver, but probably the driver is not driving. Driver is just there. We have scenarios when we talk about level five, so to say, no drivers. We have passenger uh, we have passenger driver, passenger non-driver. We have many roles that we can assign. So this landscape is going to look, uh, look very different from the way we look at the automotive landscape today. Now, with all these things, what do you think who are primarily uh, responsible for the first thing you mentioned uh, for gaining public trust and who do you think would be the actual contributor in the industry in a sense that uh, we have seen the traditional OEMs still very slow in the AV industry? So that's my question. I certainly believe that any, any company that is developing and deploying the technology um, really is responsible for, for demonstrating some level of competence, including safety, you know, and I think that uh, that will be often uh, a combination or partnership. Um, you know, we at Lyft really truly believe that partnership and collaboration in, in deployment of AVs is critical. It's not just a, a nice thing to talk about. It's actually has to be, uh, there has to be a, a meaningful collaboration between across these various industries for this deployment to be successful. Um, but I, having said that, you know, certainly the companies that, that deploy the technology uh, and that could be the, the OEMs and, and the, and the, the fleet operators, uh, but certainly the developers of the technology are the ones who really are responsible for demonstrating uh, the safety of that, of that vehicle, of that system. Um, there are lots of aspects to that, including, you know, how we, we standardize on this question of how safe is safe enough. But, but we, it's really important to think about um, that when we talk about safety of AVs, it's not just the safety of the people in the AV, it's also the safety of other road users. And, you know, we at Lyft, of course, um, we're a transportation company. Uh, we certainly focus on all modes of transportation, not just a vehicle, but also bicycles and, and scooters and, and even pedestrians walking and how we connect that to transit systems and buses and subways. That is really where we believe um, we have to think about all of those things, all those different modes of transportation to optimize a future transportation system that is safe and efficient and doesn't, doesn't necessarily take up the, 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 whole, the whole physical space in, in a city that, that our current one does. And so, you know, we, we believe that focusing on safety for AVs including, includes focus on safety for those other road users. And we have an advantage there because we do deploy uh, bicycles and scooters and we, we do encourage our, our, the users of our network to, to take advantage of all those different transportation modes. 
And so we think about the data that uh, we will need to demonstrate safety of AVs in urban areas. That will include how they operate around those vulnerable road users. And so we think we're, um, you know, it's quite interesting to to imagine how we will use the data uh, from those other vehicles to help demonstrate AV safety. Love it. So uh, in the end, what I want to ask you is, what is your vision from Lyft point of view or from your personal vision? Where would you like to see um, AV industry in terms of safety? What are the things that you would like to see before we're fully deployed? I believe that we will need to consent on some basic industry standards. And primarily those will be voluntary uh, industry standards at first. Those standards are very important Really, one of the critical pieces is that we agree on key metrics. If we want to be able to quantify and say, yes, we know that this vehicle is safe. Well, first off, what is safe? The baseline is quite an interesting challenge in and of itself. Right now, our current transportation system, most people would say, yeah, it's safe. But we, in the United States, there are roughly 37,000 people every year that lose their lives with our current system. So let's say, you know, we, we, we say that, you know, that's a safe system and that's our baseline. We still need to be able to quantify a future safe level for AVs in relation to today's system. To do that, we will need to agree on what are those key metrics that we will measure to, to determine whether something is safe or safe enough. Um, and there's been a lot of, of interesting discussion on those metrics uh, and and people are beginning to propose uh, certain metrics that that might be useful to quantify safety. So I think for us to deploy at scale, uh, we need to have some some, uh, concept of of what are those important metrics and how we will measure safety. Um, Importantly, of course, we will have to gain trust, earn trust, uh, and and we, we will do that by demonstration. So what I mean by that is we will need to prove uh, by actually doing that these vehicles are capable. And you see already companies that are starting to get into that space. And I don't mean a demo like, you know, a couple of hours or, you know, put people in a car. I really mean a meaningful demonstration, uh, even perhaps a, uh, uh, an early deployment. Uh, and we need to gather the experience from those early deployments and and be able to quantify here's the outcome and here's why we believe this is technology is now ready. Um, There are other, other things, including insurance, uh, uh, including usage rules that, that might be applied from a city or, or a state. Those are may, may not necessarily be necessary, but they likely will come along with those early deployments. So I think we need to be working on all of those things. Um, Again, you know, it gets back to that's one another reason why collaboration is critical. There's not one company that or one even organization that can accomplish all of those things by themselves. Um, and so, you know, we at Lyft have always been uh, focused on collaborating. Um, you know, we have a, a dual-pronged program where we, we are developing our own AV in-house um, we, we call it level five, um, even though we're, you know, we're focused on level four, technically. We also have a second program we call Open Platform, where we work together with other AV developers to deploy their technology on our network. And we, you know, we, there's two, co- we have publicly, we, I can say publicly that we've got two companies that we have been working with, and that's Aptiv uh, and Waymo in Las Vegas and Arizona, respectively. We think that that model is really important because not, again, not any one company will be able to deploy enough vehicles for all of our, our TNC needs, even within, even for Lyft itself. So we're always looking for collaboration opportunities with other developers, with other companies who want to deploy uh, and may not necessarily want to develop or be able to develop their own network. Um, so that collaboration piece really is critical, and we think that Lyft is in a great position to, to collaborate across the industry. We have a history of collaborating with the cities that we have deployed in, in the past um, for both our, our vehicle, our, you know, our rideshare, as well as our bikes and scooters. Uh, we intend to continue that. 
uh, for, for deployment of AVs. I love the idea of collaboration and I totally agree that this is a problem that cannot be solved by a single company or a single country even. This is a, this is a, problem, a pro problem that we have to solve in a collaborative way. Uh, there is no question about it. You also mentioned, you know, we have to gain trust, public trust. And trust and expectation um, is another thing. What are people expecting out of AV? So I'll give you an analogy where the focus in terms of safety. In Germany, we um, lose about 3,500 lives every year because of road fatality. In 2017, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was an aircraft crash and about 200 people died. And that got enormous media attention. So in terms of safety, if you do the maths, one of the safest places to be in, a, in an aircraft, but when something happens there, we get enormous media attention. On the other hand, 3,500 people dying, how many of them was even covered in the media? And I can see something similar happening, AV versus human-driven vehicle. There's way too many fatalities when we're driving versus the AV fatalities. But the focus is tremendously on the AV fatalities and hence the expectation of people. Is it unrealistic or is it like we're uh, not looking at the larger statistic? Um, what do you think of that? I think you are right that there is, well, one, you know, we've, we've kind of have become numb, if you will, to this idea. And in the United States, it's, it's literally 10 times uh, what that it is if it's 3,500 in Germany. We've just taken that as, hey, that's a matter of course. That's, that is acceptable. Um, in fact, I think most people, again, would say we have a safe system now. Um, that safe system, you know, unfortunately, 37,000 people die every year using that system. And we've kind of gotten numb to it because we've not been able to change it. But with automation, we actually now have the opportunity to actually change it. If we, and we also know, of course, that 90 plus percent of those fatal accidents are, are due to human error. And if we, if we are right and that automation can reduce the effects of human error, we ought to be able to reduce some of those uh, fatality numbers. But it, it is quite interesting because, yeah, what will the public's expectation be? I think that no one can answer that yet. Um, we have a system now that we use today um, that we've come to accept. Uh, and we always want to do better than that. Um, what is the right comparison? Is it, you know, is it good enough to be just safer by one person or by, you know, by a couple thousand fatalities a year? No one knows what, where, where we will head, where we will end up with those kind of comparison numbers. Um, it's probably not the, uh, an answer or, or an approach that we can answer directly before the technology is actually deployed. So I think it's most helpful to view, to focus on, on those metrics of that we will, you know, we will make comparisons to humans. We will look at the number of crashes. We will look at the number of injuries. Um, we can even look at the number of times that uh, we have a rule of road violation as kind of a precursor to a bad outcome. By that, I mean, how often does a vehicle run through a stop sign? versus how many times that happens by human drivers. So I don't have an answer for you on whether what the public's expectation will be. I don't think anybody can foresee that yet. It is interesting to think about, you know, people's willingness to take risk is usually dependent upon the benefit they get from that risky activity. In the case of an AV, uh, certainly, people will want to, we, we, I believe people will quickly get used to AV operation because they don't have to drive. I, I, I myself have a level two vehicle that I drive as my everyday vehicle. And I, I can tell you that it is quite relaxing to drive it uh, compared to a, you know, a level zero vehicle. And that's just level two. Um, I do believe the people as they experience level four AVs will quickly become 
accustomed to it. And that level of benefit will influence their, their thinking on level of risk um, for those in the vehicle. But again, it's important for us to also think about risk for people who are outside the vehicle, especially those vulnerable road users. So I don't have a formula or a prediction. Um, I, I don't think anybody really can. I think we are going to, like we did with, with human-driven vehicles, 100 years ago, we introduced this technology and, and there were concerns about its safety but its utility far outweighed uh, its, its, its concerns for safety. In fact, if you think about the transformation that automobiles have brought to our society, no one could have predicted the overall benefit when they were first introduced. I think that's kind of where we are with AVs also. We really can't fully predict the overall benefit. Um, we can start to think about the, those benefits, and safety being certainly one of them. The other, the other potential benefit to think about is this idea that you know, right now when we want to go get groceries or go get milk, we think about, well, up until recently, we thought about, let's, I'm going to get in my car, I'm going to drive to the grocery store. Recently, that because of, of COVID and other matters, that's changed to, okay, well, maybe I can order it online, but it still involves a human-driven vehicle bringing something to us. Um, if you think about the other potential benefit of AVs, it, it could actually reduce the number of human-occupied trips significantly. Do we, you know, we, don't, we can send an AV to deliver your groceries instead of putting human at risk in that vehicle. If you think about that, you think about the idea that, well, our vehicles are designed, you know, 5,000 pounds to move you know, maybe a couple hundred pounds of humans uh, and five pounds of groceries. Well, the vehicle would be very different if it only has to move five pounds of groceries and not humans. It doesn't have to have airbags, um, at least, you know, for, unless you want to protect your tomatoes, I guess. But um, so we can think about the implications of AV and that it might change the, the, the physical the way that we design and build and operate vehicles. And those are benefits that, you know, would be an additive, if you will, to, 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 to safety, to human safety. So, you know, I, it's, it's impossible to, to make that balance right now. I think we, we, we will have to deploy the technology to some extent to understand that benefit balance. So there is this strange phenomenon in safety, uh, kind of like a paradoxical phenomenon in safety, that the more you are trusting your system, the safer it gets, you will take more risks. For example, when you're driving your level four vehicle, you're really getting used to it, yeah? And then there is a chance that you'll fall asleep. I drive a level two vehicle too. Time to time, I am looking at my text, uh, WhatsApp messages, and uh, just in case I forgot to turn it on, I have a problem. So a level four vehicle runs really well, but if you are falling asleep, the idea of level four that, hey, you are, you are all still responsible is somehow uh, vanished, right? Yeah, well, I mean, technically, Yeah, right. Level four, you're not responsible. You're either or, right? It's level three. That is the challenge of shared control or, or partial automation is... You know what we've learned certainly from the from the airline uh, aerospace industry is that it's the the failures happen most often, if you will, in those phases of of either control confusion or transition of control. And so that's why many companies are focused on level four is because we don't have to, the, to rely on the human to uh, take control or, or, or be given control. Yeah. Some of them are skip, skipping level three, yeah. Those are certainly technical, difficult technical challenges. However, I do think that what we see with today's level two vehicles that are uh, on the road is quite interesting because you know, there are quite effective ways to keep the driver engaged. And without naming names, you know, there, there, there are driver eye monitoring, basically warnings for the driver to take control, lockouts, if you will, when they don't take control. Those are pretty effective. At least that's my, been my experience with, with a level two vehicle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some, 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 co some companies have deployed level two or near level two without those kinds of controls. And I think that those have been 
perceived as less safe as those that, that are, you know, basically require engagement of some level at some level by the driver. Um, so I, I would never rule out the level two or level three. In fact, I do think that we will see uh, in some cases a stepwise deployment of automation, but really the, the big change comes at level four. And level four, if we can do it right, does, you know, reduce even maybe a sidestep that question of control changeover or shared control. Yeah. Um, but it brings its own issues for sure. And, you know, it's very interesting to think about, um, for, for example, you know, we, we, we're in highly interested in the safety of pedestrians or, or bicyclists. And so level four has a huge opportunity in that, you know, the reason that unfortunately we have 6,500 VRU fatalities in the United States every year, drivers don't intend to hit pedestrians or bicyclists. It's that they don't see them. Well, the, the level four vehicle or the automated vehicle has a potential opportunity in that its perception system doesn't get sleepy, doesn't get distracted, uh, can actually have, it takes advantage of multi-mode uh, with radar, LIDAR, and camera, multi-mode ability to, to perceive a pedestrian. And so there's potential for, you know, a significant improvement in the number of pedestrian fatalities with level four or automated vehicle deployment. However, the, the challenge is, of course, that humans do a very good job at planning. You know, we, when we can see a pedestrian, we can interpret small little cues and clues as to what their pedestrian's intent is. Are they intending to step off the curb into the crosswalk in front of the vehicle? That pedestrian intent issue is, is something that humans are much better at than automated automation is. So automation's better at seeing them humans are better at figuring out what they're going to do or anticipating mm -hmm. what they're going to do. So there are, there are opportunities and challenges. Um, and I think that, you know, when we think about uh, this level four operation, we can, we can look at those opportunities and we should look at those opportunities uh, for making sure that, and for, that we can gain the trust of users. I love it. So there, we do have challenges, we do have opportunities, and definitely one thing that we can agree that AV is going to make vehicles safer. There's no question about it. With that, uh, I really want to thank you a lot, John, for uh, joining us. And thank you so much for watching. If you have any question, comment, if you've liked it, please feel free to smash the like button and write comment in the comment section below. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, John, for being with us. Thank you for it. It was a great conversation. I look forward to talking again. Thank you so much.